Actually, before we start, can I get you guys to just give me a count from one to ten, just to test, just normal? What do you mean before we start? It was a, it was a fucking reference. I feel, imbe- I feel I'm being tricked. <laughs> what is it's this? It's a bit, okay? Oh, okay. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, no, eight, no, no, nine, no. ten. No, 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 like normal. Just take it normal. One, two... Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mm, 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 mm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Mm. Thank you for joining. For, thank you uh, for an episode of Try Love. It's a little round literal roundtable podcast where we talk about movies we saw or people we met at the Trial on Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You can find us on Twitter at Try Love Podcast. Find the Trial on at Trial on Cinema and at trialon.org. Uh, if you actually go to the trial line in person, you can get some of these cool little magazines that preview what we're going to be, pl- what they're going to be. Pl- we, um, the Royal, we are going to be playing at the trial line over the course of the year. Uh, get a nice little sneak peek at what's going on. Uh, yeah. Cody's holding up um, the actual one that's headed that we're headed into now leading with Charlotte Rampling's illusions of invulnerability. Um, you know, the illusion is that she was right side up the whole time. Uh, you can uh, find all of that and more at the trial line and at trialline.org. Uh, my name is Jason Daphnis. You can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. 300 podcasts in six years. What are we doing? I'm Cody Narvison, and you can find me on Blue Sky at Cody Narvison. Who's they? First, tell me who they is. What is that? A communist conspiracy of some kind? I'm Harry Mack, and you can find me on Twitter at PunishTake. My name is Aaron, uh, and Blowout is every fucking time I play a trivia segment on Cody's Noties. Uh, I am not currently on Twitter, uh, but if you would like to increase my following to followers ratio, you can cl- follow me on there at RB, please. I'm currently on private, so I'll have to accept you. But if you look cool, I, you know, I'll probably accept you. You know, Except when you like briefly returned pick. to Twitter to make an Argyle joke. And then you would back there's off. Nothing, of there's nothing joking about that. I was anxious to see who the real Agent Argyle did you, was. Did you end up finding out who the real Agent Argyle was? Uh, through uh, me purposefully reading the Wikipedia page and not uh-huh, seeing uh-huh. that piece of shit, yes. It's a gross yes, tradition, yeah. <laughs> of course. Also, uh, from from clearly guessing it before the movie came out, because I'm, I'm not a fucking moron. Well, and also that... Oh, is it going to be the cat? What are you fucking talking about? And in 2018, discussing film... What if it's Taylor Swift? The, uh, yeah, I know. the Twitter page revealed it. <laughs> so there was yes, that, that well. is that is extremely <laughs> that funny. We don't need to hilarious. talk about it. This is not Argyle Pod. We can't do this, but... It but was Argyle yes. Watch 2024? Are we doing this? What's up? We t- <laughs> I mean, we have a whole sub-brand for we exactly this. this. Yeah. We are not doing this. We are. Please intro the rest of the podcast. Please uh, make way for... It's actually playing as part of the Neo Noir series that's going on at the Trilon all winter long and at the Heights. There are a few movies left. We may or may not cover more of them. Check it out at trilon.org. You can, that's right. You can find screenings at other theaters on the Trilon's website. It's called Multimedia. Every point of access, you can get it through the trilon.org website. Um, but actually, your point of access to this episode is going to be Aaron's patented Aaron Grossman summary, which he introduces with, how does that one catchphrase go? That we, we love hearing it every time. It goes like, Yes, indeed, folks. Right? For the record, Jason is pressing a button that plays that. I, I do not say I'm that not every straight time. straight from the library. We've used it in the last several. 
Yeah. Uh, folks, we are talking about Blowout, 1981 film directed by Brian De Palma, uh, starring John Travolta, Nancy Allen, and Jean Lithgow, uh, largely based on Michelangelo Antonioni's 1966 film Blow Up. Uh, Blowout follows a sound man for uh, kind of low-budget slasher horror films uh, named Jack Terry. Um, Jack is told by his producer uh, to find uh, better sound effects. You know, he's told, hey, you're phoning it in. You use the same wind sounds, the last uh, uh, five flicks. Uh, we need uh, we need you to put in a little bit more work here, buddy. So uh, specifically for the sound of the wind, and there's also this kind of uh, uh, woman's scream uh, in a pivotal moment uh, in the latest film, Jason. Yes, that, that scream will just not do it. Um, so, you know, Jack kind of heads out uh, to a local park to record uh, this kind of, you know, the natural audio, the sounds of the environment around him. Um, and as he's doing so, uh, he sees uh, a car kind of ostensibly have a blowout. Uh, you know, the tire kind of you know, pops uh, and then it, it kind of careens off and drives into the river. Um, Jack dives in and rescues a young woman named Sally Bedina. Um, but the man uh, driving uh, the car kind of with her in the car uh, is unfortunately killed. Uh, the dead man turns out to be presidential hopeful Governor George McRyan. And when Jack's recorded audio shows the car crash uh, to be an assassination instead of an accident, Jack and Sally are thrown into the middle of a national conspiracy. Uh, that's what I got. Blowout. Hey, John Travolta film. Yeah. That was an excellent uh, you know, summary. Solid, um, thanks. Really Honestly, I, I, uh, I went off script there a little bit. I'm, I embellished. Usually Ooh, I don't. It's like fucking jazz, read. the Grossman summary. I, He's um, just improv. It's the, you know, it's the, it's the things I don't say. Yeah, it's the yes and Which there are did very you, little of. I said did most you, of it. <laughs> did you, are you, do you mean to say that you didn't write a summary this time and just went off the dome? Uh, I didn't do it off the dome, but I embellished. Like, for example, uh, I, I so, have okay, literally notes. written: Jack is told by his producer to find better sound effects, specifically for the latest, uh, specifically for the sound of the wind and a woman's screen for a pivotal moment in the latest film. And I went, Ooh, it was told by the producer. No, I didn't. Okay, all right, it's fine. You well, like I did that. the. I handed it off to you for the audio bit. You know, it's this is Thank this you. is kind yeah, of yeah, like yeah. a. I'm like the late night talk show. I'm the. I'm the guy on the podium to the left who kind of jazzes with you're you know, Andy Richter. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. You're sure. Kevin Eubanks. Yeah, right? whatever the guy for Kimmel, you know? Who yeah. was the guy for Kimmel? Can't remember. I can't remember. I don't know any of the guys. I would love to have participated in that bit and said a <laughs> third name, but I don't know any. Uh, I don't know. Maybe people. You're the, you're the skeleton from, uh, what's from the? Craig Ferguson. The fucking Crypt from Keepers. Craig Ferguson, like, yes. Oh, Jeff okay. The skeleton. Yeah. <laughs> I fucking love that shit. Uh, Anybody the, the like, best. Yes. The, being based on blow up, I always assumed not having seen either of these movies prior to two years ago, and I still haven't seen blow up. I always assumed that I was like stupid for equating the movies, but there's actually like a lineage between, I mean, like subject matter wise, obviously in general, like intentional plot. Yeah. But it's an intentional, like, Oh, we're bowling elements of this narrative of this plot, putting them in blow up. The conversation just, too. I mean, we'll right. probably probably get around to talking about it but yeah this is concerned with the the evolution of of kind of media right uh, uh pictures and sound uh kind of being together as, as filmmaking and kind of the evolution of uh i'm sorry the mic there the evolution of kind of you know uh global but specifically like u.s politics kind of in the same period right mm -hmm. some yeah. stuff going on there you I, know? yeah i guess because i again still haven't seen blow up but having seen this movie twice now 
that is what strikes me is that the first time around, none of the, well, not none of it, but like only the broadest strokes of it's like, oh, it's cynicism about like the information age and the like manipulation of truth through uh, multiple, you know, refracting lenses. And it's a uh, juxtaposition with American politics. Like the nuances of that didn't hit the as clearly one because I wasn't watching it the first time in 2022 with friend of the podcast and former roommate Seth Zarati. Um, I wasn't watching it for the with the intent of like talking about it. So I wasn't like taking my judicious notes and stuff. Um, but also because like I was much more comfortable just letting the sort of noir y plottiness of it get to be the constant like he's going down the wrong path and he's being misled by this person and like there's some there's a subplot playing out all of like Lithgow calling into the radio st- or the news station, posing as the killer sort of thing. All that just kind of like washed over me. Just let it be thrilling. Let it be like, let it move this time. God, around, I genuinely wish I could watch movies that way. That it, sounds so relaxed. <laughs> it, 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 it took a while to get into that. Turn your brain off. <laughs> but uh, just let people enjoy things. But um, this time around, like clearly a lot easier to uh, like, just because I knew where the story was going. Cause I knew where people fit in it and I knew how it wraps up a lot easier to pull like oh, to the point where I felt like locked in, so to speak, where it felt like, Oh, from the first time that I noticed something about what it's doing, like where the pieces are falling and how, like, I think it's one of the very first scenes he is watching TV and editing sound. And it, it does the Brian De Palma thing of like uh, two frames in one shot, uh, sort of split down the middle, black and white, excuse me with, with black bars. And on the right is the uh, president. Hi Harper is the presidential hopefuls um, like it's covering his dinner where he's going to make his big announcement about his candidacy. And then on the left is just John Travolta mixing the shit and chopping and screwing a bunch of sound. Uh, And it's like, Oh, well this we're pairing these two things is like the nature of, uh, you know, spin and twisting information and promotion and like media covering this totally uh, splash event that it has little meaning and sort of like setting up for the, uh, uh, the eventual downfall of that character that is being like sort of vaunted on the right side of the screen alongside like, oh, there's a man mixing the truth and, and, and fixing, uh, you know, reality in order to fit a fictional narrative kind of thing to like come up with better sound effects. Anyway, so from the moment that that scene hits, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm much closer to like the, what the point of this movie is, I assume sort of that cynical take on that look like Aaron was saying of like, uh, modern media and how it, you know, distorts or transforms or recontextualizes, you know, cap, you know, lowercase t truth. Um, anybody else, Aaron, did you have that experience? Have you seen this movie before? And did it take two watches for you to get, sort of get it? Well, see, the the thing, Jason, is, is that in the, in the past, our, our methods of, of, you know, kind of recording down information were inherently flawed. You see, if we were to take an, an audio recording, well, let's go back. If you were to take someone's uh, kind of, you know, secondhand account of something. I mean, that's inherently very biased and very flawed, uh, you know, just as a method of recollection, right? Uh, uh, similarly, just taking down audio, that does not portray the whole story. That's maybe half of the story, uh, you know, and, and is certainly open to kind of interpretation and twisting and all sorts of, you know, kind of a manner in different ways, right? Uh, just taking pictures or videos of something. I mean, that that is also, that doesn't have the sound in it, right? So that's, all sorts of problems with that. Anything could be happening in the audio there that could uh, reveal different dimensions to the, the visuals that we're looking at. Surely if we splice the visuals and the audio together at the same time, we will come to some sort of objective truth and understanding about the world around us, right? That surely will not be open to 
further misinterpretations and surely there's not some sort of culture. Yeah. <laughs> some sort of culture that gets in the way of that constantly, you know? So this is a film about finding objective truth and it's me with a, a my Android phone, unfortunately, and blurry, you know, 360p uh, video, just kind of walking around, taking a video. Catching that is, that yeah. is how we learn the truth, Jason. Anyway, yes, I've, I've seen this film before. Uh, uh, I think in college, uh, this was like a this was like a ooh, I'm getting more into movies like college uh, 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 film and I think I have mm. I bought I don't even know where but I bought like a DVD copy of this uh, which I did not watch for this I I you know rented a, a more kind of HD version uh, but I do have a, a DVD copy of this movie uh, and so this was a very early like. Aaron starts to kind of uh, understand the depth of like genre flicks sort it's of a good one uh, kind of I moment feel. it's a great one i think this this is like one of the great movies to do that right this is like a at least how i've kind of heard people talk about this movie this is a you know a movie that is kind of this this you know one part like hitchcockian kind of thriller uh uh you know mixed with this kind of meta commentary on filmmaking and uh you know it's brian de palma um you know uh, doing all that stuff really, really well, but with like just a just kind of maybe not like five more layers of depth, but like two or three. Like there's just enough to really dig in to find something yeah. quite interesting, and it kind of makes a cohesive whole in an interesting way that like a lot of those genre flicks maybe don't actually do, but like sometimes they kind of hint at in interesting ways. And so yeah, this was a weirdly I would say formative uh, movie, even though I think I've only seen it. Two other times. It's not like I've seen this a million times. Um, but yeah, I, 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 good flick, good film, good flick, good a great movie, great it. scream. Yeah, um, the worst pass off of, off of all time. But someone take that. Oh no, I was, the, I was just going to say because Harry was talking about how he wishes that he could watch a movie just like with the intent of letting it wash over him rather than picking it apart as as it's coming into his brain. Did that happen with this one uh, this time around too? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the thing about this movie that really gets to me. Um, is that I think it's the one a rare movie that gets scarier, um, like as we it gets like more prescient as we head further and further into like the future and into the information age. Maybe just because of how like its commentary on what the nature and availability of um, abstracted like images and audio is doing to our ability to sort of like be. Um, capable of and willing to um unpack and analyze those images um becomes more and more uh sort of like alarming right like i the last time i saw this movie i, w I was thinking a lot about um conspiracies obviously this time i was thinking about fucking chat gpt and like generative ai i felt that this movie was like exactly as urgent as it was the first time i saw it but for it also made me think of totally new reasons why it was so urgent, which I think is kind of a rare thing for uh, movies, at least for me. Um, what do you think, Cody? Have you seen this movie before? And, and how did it? How did your relationship with it change? Yeah, I think. I mean, you got to uh, uh, the thing that you said just now. Just like it grows more prescient over time, and like it finds, or rather, you find new ways to be afraid of it, just because of how i don't know like unfortunately our world is evolving in a way where this movie gets gets more and more scary but kind of like aaron i did see blowout uh in college i saw it in like a cinema ideology class and it 
God, just the spoils of this class in particular of like the motif, like kind of the focus for the class was paranoia. It's one of those things where like, it, this is where like the class is kind of an umbrella, but the specific nature of the umbrella changes just depending on like what, you know, it's kind of floating and just like the professor will pick one. And so like paranoia specifically, um, I think as somebody mentioned um, earlier in this discussion, like particularly like structure-based or media-based or politics-based. And so blow out, yeah, I watched over the course of a semester. I, I mean, or I watched it. We focused on it alongside stuff like Rear Window, Chinatown. I was writing them down to try to remember, but just like a bunch of bangers, Blowout, Rear Window, Chinatown, The Conversation, and All the President's Men, I believe was like that semester. So again- Nothing um, but bangers, dude. Holy shit. Yeah. To to the victor go the spoils. Um, but yeah, all of those being so, and some of, some of which we've talked about previously, like with those being- uh, entrenched in this uh, environment uh, of paranoia, it, such the you know the ways that they are. Um, one thing I've found myself gravitating toward with Blowout and the rest of those movies is that in some in some ways, like it's it's the physical environment as well that is established. Whether it's like a limited sort of setting like Rear Window or something like you know the the conversation where we're surveying an entire area that's kind of like the lead of the movie, and then. You know, it, it, whether it's that area or like Gene Hackman's little studio, just like eventually we're we're puncturing these areas or like reconceptualizing these areas and finding new ways to be afraid of those areas because they're being undermined or like they're being invaded. Um, or, you know, when Robert Redford goes to talk to Deep Throat and all the presidents men, it's just like, oh, this is not a, a safe space any longer. Like those sorts of things. Um, and like that is, I, I think, one of those concepts that like gets more and more frightening to me over time specifically you know this because the way in which john travolta's space is invaded is you know his you know office or what have you all the tapes it's that fantastic 360 degree just continuously rotating shot just like oh all of these tapes were just erased you know somebody brought in you know the they world's tiniest magnet him, right yeah 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 it's like this used to be like yeah elements of the world that i captured it is uh, also sort of like the sad state of f- physical media just like think about how easy it is to just like erase a tape or a disc or just like not record something at all. Um, but then it also begs the question, question of like, well, how, how, what other elements of history, what other, you know, that you structures and people were able to just like, you know, scrub away. Yeah. Um, so it's like a very frightening hierarchy, but one that I th- like very poignant. Uh, it works. It continues to work for, for me. And it sounds like for a lot of us here with each visit or revisit. Uh, and oh, Jason, the shot you're talking about earlier, the, the diopter shots, I think you were talking about and just like weirdly those pop up in, in these movies, you've been thinking uh, uh, all the president's men definitely has them, but just like the, uh, like, we're not gonna, we're not gonna, you know, we're, we're going to spoon feed you rather like these are the parallels that like you, you need to have one eye on this and one eye at this literally at all times, because, mm-hmm. you know, uh, if not, you're not going to get the movie or, you know, if it's real life, you might get, you, you, you're not yeah. watching your back. You might get killed. You might get scrubbed from the face of existence. What do you think about that, Jason? I think that that is a fantastic, it's not where I was going to go, but I think it's a fantastic point to jump on is like, there's obviously with the beginning of the movie being that mock slasher that Aaron was mentioning in the, uh, in the pags about, you know, it, it, it is at its heart, like, because Brian De Palma is a freak who makes freak movies. It's kind of about freaks who make freak movies too. But I think nowhere is it more like, that leg of this movie is more in step with the sort of like political intrigue and the malleability of truth than like when he does in a way, like I think Brian De Palma might've been the, uh, the perfect person to make this movie because he was such a fan or is such a fan. Is he still alive? He's still alive, right? He's like 80 something, but he's still alive. Um, 
that he's such a fan of putting like yes. just yeah, like frame manipulating uh lenses and like you know almost cartoon like it's to a, a gigantic degree in something like hi mom but in pretty much every movie i've seen from him uh you know the two frames inset in one and like wh- whatever you call that uh you know the brady bunch effect type thing like the way that he's even presenting this story about the manipulation of information is manipulating that information to obviously narrative and fictional ends but like specifically what does it mean that he's uh you know paralleling a long shot, like a really wide shot of uh, John Travolta on a bridge, pointing a, a condenser microphone around the room, around the you know park, and just like really close up, there's a frog, or really close up, there's the um, there's the owl, uh, and you know, like he does, again, he does that a dozen times in this fucking movie with every main character and every like point of interest, and it's like that the bare act of choosing a different way to frame the thing is in itself a direct manipulation of like, oh, you could have both things in frame and it could look, you know, like a normal shot and one thing would be out of focus or everything's too like small to really tell. But he's specifically, I mean, both metaphorically a lens and literally a lens. He's putting something between you, the viewer and the event on screen to like focus your attention in certain places for a specific desired effect. And I know I'm just describing like the nature of cinematography and of directing but i think it's to a very specific point in this movie that every moment is like tailored not just to show you what's happening but to get you to feel to like make you think or consider aspects of the frame that you might not have otherwise again like it really pointed on the nose with the bridge scene where the thing that's making the noise is given half of the fucking frame in a an incredible close-up of of a barn owl or whatever that is um and in some cases Great it's you shot. Know, wonderful shot. Hell of a shot it's in contention for if i get to make more than one gif out of this it's in contention for the gif of this episode but yeah like i i i don't i guess i can see to what end it is and i'm trying to go take it a little bit further to see if there's like oh there's uh it's sort of like more of a metaphysical musical, excuse me metaphorical take on that but i just see like in a story that is about like how like aaron was saying the sort of like missing pieces of media making the new truth of the thing or like the remaining as in the end of this movie the great scream the remaining pieces of truth being the only like little embedded pieces of like a certain lowercase t truth embedded in something that is entirely fictional or entirely manipulative or exploitative being itself like as a movie that we're watching blow out being itself manipulated and presented in a certain way to elicit a certain reaction from certain shots at certain times is a really fascinating like Maybe it's the college brain take. Maybe it's because I didn't watch this in college, but I'm, I just had a fucking time with that realization while I'm watching it. Almost needed to pause and be like, okay, let's, let's level set. Are there multiple layers that this movie is operating on? And if so, are they meaningful or are they just sort of, hello, Diana? Are they just sort of like, you know, there for color? You know, uh, anyway, I think I've gone on a little bit long about that point, but what you were saying, uh, Cody made me, made me laugh. Um, I really like where both you and Cody took this, right? I especially really appreciate you bringing up the um, the cinematography and, and directorial decisions that went into this movie. Um, I think that we're sort of like uh, rubbing up against like my big take on this movie, right? Which is that De Palma is doing something that's sort of like almost heroically naive where like he's trying to use this movie, he's trying to use the same techniques that inured you to the possibility of finding truth that made us all the sort of cynical, disaffected people we are, the way that John Travolta's character Jack was at the very beginning of this movie. He's trying to use that to wake us up again, 
the way that Jack is woken up through this movie, right? At the beginning of this movie, we find Jack. He's cynical. He's disaffected. He's using and reusing the same audio because what does it matter? You're just making stupid, shitty movies anyway. And then he has this experience, right? He has this conspiratorial experience where he stumbles on this terrible cover-up that is occurring. And that wakes him back up. It, it reconnects him back with when he was a, a younger, more idealistic person, more intent on finding a truth, um, a capital T truth, like you said, Jason. And the movie walks us through that psychological um, evolution, right? This movie is so paranoid. It's so, uh, like Cody was saying, it's so... Um, it uses the the genre trappings of thrillers and even the sort of Hitchcockian um, cinema cinematographic trappings of thrillers to bring us into that place where everybody's mm-hmm. an anime like with classic De Palma diopter shots, also classic um, De Palma like uh, um, you're being watched shots, tons and tons of oh, shots yeah, where yeah. like Jack is like being shot. seen through a window or somebody is. And obviously the, the feeling we're supposed to have is like, Oh, there are eyes everywhere. Somebody's watching all over the corner. Somebody has set all of this up because literally in the literal sense, Brian De Palma has the director. He set all this up to look that way, to make us feel that way. And also it's meant to connect us back to this idea, this psychological reality of Jack's that like everything, he, it's like he's waking back up, right? He's like, wait a minute. Like all of this is constructed. All of this is artifice. Like the world as I understand it is a narrative that serves powers that are bigger than me that have manipulated that world and my perception of it to a deliberate end. I think De Palma is arguing here there is no such thing as a non-manipulative construction of an image and a sound. There is no, no way to capture something like that without editorializing that we have all become like totally like uh, as a defense mechanism, totally inured to that, right? And I think that that is like the most deeply true and sad thing, right? About just like in a world where like we are constantly assaulted by editorializations of sound and images as well as sound and images themselves, what like how what does proving a conspiracy even look like anymore, right? I mean, everybody is so used to that shit that something like, say, Jeffrey Epstein can happen. And everybody's just like, oh, yeah, yeah, that probably something weird happened there. Probably he didn't really kill himself in that cell, not to get too tinfoil hat on the episode right now. But like, but like that kind of shit happens all the time, right? And and like, and so it's, it's a, no, I mean, it doesn't, not like this, but okay, go ahead. I've, I've, well, just not, sorry, I'm interrupt. I'm being very rude. Here's my, my, I think like I am like kind of on board with what you're saying, like as you're saying it, but I think there are like two areas where I think I'm like diverting from what you're saying, but maybe you disagree or agree. I guess I don't know. But like the first is like, I think this movie like is kind of doing what you're, you're saying in regard to Travolta's character and like this greater conspiracy. But I think the movie is also like much more pessimistic about like what's really going on. Right. To the point where like, there is a conspiracy, but it is not the kind of grand, you know, sort of shadowy, you know, Mission Impossible style right. conspiracy that we're, we're led to believe that even Travolta believes is going on. We're like, what actually ends up happening is that Jonathan Lithgow's character is a psychopath. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah, he's, he's a psychopath. Yeah. And like the people who's on, you know, who are on the phone with him are like, hey, what are you doing, man? We were, yeah. we were trying to get this guy getting a blowjob in a car. And, like, and, and he's like, what, well, what's happening? I, to kill this woman, I have to kill a bunch of other hookers first to cover yes, up. Yes, I know. The, and, and they're all like, what the fuck are you talking about, <laughs> dog? Like, that's crazy. Right. And erase every <laughs> tape and, like, bug this guy's entire apartment building. He goes, way rogue. 
which is, I think, tied into, like, not to get, like, diverted too much from my next point, but, like, I think it's tied into, like, uh, uh, De Palma's, like, vision of, like, the American public and American culture at the time, which, let's shelve that for, like, four seconds, right? But, like, the other thing that I, I think is, like, kind of bugging me a bit about this is, like, I have trouble viewing this, and I, I like this kind of conspiracy media a lot, but I have trouble viewing it as some sort of, like, kind of prescient, uh, you know, image of like, you know, the future of American politics and American culture, because like, I think like the, the, the truth is not that like, you know, Americans uh, are, are so kind of sedated that, that they're unable to recognize any sort of conspiracy. I think that like the truth that, that like end up, ended up happening is that like, you know, for every one, you know, like plausible, hey, we should look more into this conspiracy, such as like there's the FD, a 2,000 ridiculous right. 9,000 <laughs> conspiracies about pizza shop basements, about some guy named Q on the internet, like, like commanding his follower. You know what I mean? Like the thing is not that like Americans are like just watching too many movies and doing parades and shit. The truth is like, oh, Americans are, are not all of them, but like a lot of them are so stupid that they are latching onto absurd conspiracies with like no bait you know what i mean and, and that's what i'm saying that's why i said it's like a defense mechanism right because like right for, for people who are arguably rational right like yes like there there comes a point where you almost have to <laughs> consider every single conspiracy with the same like like skepticism uh because yes. if you don't you will just be utterly like your brain will be torn apart by the ten thousand conspiracy theories that you're assaulted with every day, right? It's like in in a yeah. world where like last time I was in Chicago, for instance, literally I was accosted by multiple flat earthers who were just walking down the streets and being like, Hey, can I tell you I've about how the world is what the flat? fuck, dude? That's that's strange. <laughs> Maybe we were trafficking different parts of Chicago. I need to we uh, need to we need to connect after this yeah. and, and figure something out. It's yeah. like in, but in a world where that's true, like like what happens when like I'm also like, hey, have you heard that like the military industrial complex is the actual reason why we're sending so much aid to Israel? Like people are making money off of that, right? Like something that seems like blatantly true to me, but like somebody would just be like, Hey man, like you you sound like a crazy person right now, and I would have to be like, fuck. Yeah. Your your third relative at the the holiday party is is very upset about you bringing this up, you know, yeah, sort of situation. I think that like the the thing that uh, in, in like De Palma like purposefully tried to like uh, uh, like downplay this, but like this movie is like you know there, there's references to the Zapruder film and stuff like that, and there's a bunch of references to different conspiracies. Like that, this movie is like mainly about Chappaquiddick and like Ted Kennedy and like you know that woman that drowned in his car. When he like you know yeah, went off obviously. the fucking bridge yeah. or whatever, um, and like the thing about that conspiracy is opposed to something like like JFK's assassination, uh, which like you know you look into that and like there are like you know I'm not a JFK conspiracy theorist, but like there are very plausible threads and like kind of paths to go down. Like looking into I that, am, baby, it was the CIA. Into, like, I, I just I'm not like. I'm not saying I'm like, you know, uh, uh, anti-conspiracy theory for JFK. I've just like never been one of those guys, to be honest. Um, but the thing about like, you know, uh, a Chappaquiddick is like the, the, I think the easiest explanation is that like, it's just very clearly Ted Kennedy being like a shit and a bad person. You know what I mean? And it's like, y you know, uh, uh, people tried to, I think because of like the JFK stuff, people tried to kind of turn that into a larger conspiracy moment. And there was this big trial. And, and of course, like Ted Kennedy, you know, who like let this woman drown in this car and maybe, maybe tried to rescue her, maybe didn't. Right. Um, but, you know, 
that situation was looked at through a very similar lens, despite the fact that it is clearly a much more absurd situation that is exactly in a way revealing of human nature in a way that something like JFK is not right. And I think that like this film is like largely concerned with how, you know, uh, this kind of new media environment, this new, you know, new technology kind of enabling, uh, uh, you know, some form of truth to, you know, try and uh, kind of emerge uh, in, in, you know, the, the second half of the 20th century. I think that this film is like looking at, uh, uh, you know, um, a sequence of events that is like very largely absurd. And if not for the presence of Jonathan Lithgow's character, uh, like kind of nothing, right? Like this would be a, you know, a conspiracy guy getting, you know, seen with a model in a, in a fucking car. And like, you know, that's absurd. But the thing here is that like, yeah, there is no larger grand conspiracy. There is like a sociopath who is much more in line with American society than we might like to admit, I guess, is is my my take on it, really. Well, and, and like the fact that he is able to get away with this by taking refuge in audacity, right? Like by by like leveraging the tropes of American society against us, right? Like yes, he, lit- yes. he he literally is like, hey, like if I pretend I'm a serial killer by being an actual serial killer, that'll cover up the real reason why I'm committing these killings, right? It's like, it's such an absurd plan, but it, it is one that is like, it's so, it makes so much sense within the context of this movie in particular, right? This idea that like, oh, like I can obfuscate conspiracy with conspiracy and in the process, like totally eliminate the, uh, the real truth of what's going down here and why it's going down. Right. Just like the, the scream can be totally abstracted from its source, uh, for everybody except for Jack, the, in like the hellish final sequence. Right. It's like, Hey, I can like, I can like, show you what's happening. Like clearly there is something happening in America today, right? What's going on, Marvin Gaye. But, uh, um, if I can like, if I can totally change like what it means that that's going on, like I can, I can obfuscate the obvious truth behind it. Right. And like, I, I love that this movie is like, Hey man, like there is very clearly something fucked happening here. Uh, and then it can also say like, but this is why like we can't get a finger on it. Right. This is why we can't grab hold of it. Yeah. And it's like, it's just that sense at, I had a, I had trouble pinpointing exactly. Maybe it is like when he records the sound itself of the of the gunshot of the car screeching off the bridge and splashing into the water. But there is just this feeling, especially in retrospect, having like watching it the second time, is just that there is that point at which there is um like there's no coming back from it, so to speak. I have in my notes uh the like that once that once the core truth of what happened, like, you know, the governor uh, in a car with a call girl going off the bridge and, and, you know, due to somebody else's fault, once that core truth is sort of like un- unwraps, once it unravels, once like somebody is around to hear it, then like there's no getting back to the essentiality of that event in this movie. Like it, that's what keeps the, the, the tension high is like this hope against hope that somebody can like, contain all of these things and convince and like just put the right pieces of information back in place but again that that fear like we've been talking about that i assume de palma is playing on toward like the modern technology being able to record in better uh fidelity than ever before but no closer to an actual like sense of truth about it and that all the different 
layers and filters through which it's going to be uh, seen and heard is is necessarily going to change its meaning in the end. Like that, that story will never be made whole again. That like every degree of separation from the core event is taking us further. Us, the characters of the movie, is taking people further and further from like the tr- core truth of it, from the hope of getting there, of like revealing what actually happened. Um, and like obviously, it's that commentary on how like weak and susceptible the quote unquote truth is and how much value it has in the end. If it like, if the pursuit of it ends up in a, you know, dead detective trying to uncover uh, the corruption in his, in, in their own police station in their own police force. And uh, it, it leads to the death of an innocent um, who was, you know, sort of like aiding and abetting that corruption and so, sought a better way to, you know, sort of like attack that herself. Um, it's just like that, for me, the second time around, it was like there, there's still tension somehow, despite there being not uh, a like a, a much hope to it at all. Like even if even the first time I watched this movie, it was like, well, even if they do reconstruct, he does reconstruct an original perfect film of this thing. There's always going to be the question of, well, what this has this been like doctored through who who co- collected this information? What? And I think that is like feeding what y'all are saying about the sort of immensity and variability and uh and paranoid like manipulation of information that leads to conspiracy theories like that like the thing that you're that like you were saying uh Eric, both of you were saying about like the um epstein stuff and uh zapruder film and stuff is like every single piece of information that gets before somebody who believes in those things or questions those things will like can still be continually questioned like Yes, you have proof that, you know, uh, Jeffrey Epstein killed him. Like you could have documented video of it. And yet there would still be another layer of like people who still, because they just find themselves drawn to that thing because they've been conditioned to question it all. And because they have no like belief in the, in the veracity of any of that information do like they will end up constructing a new truth to sort of explain, to sort of like justify the belief that they have in the thing. So I, this seems like an early example of that with like, oh, a console based sound recorder with good uh, quality and, you know, a 60 millimeter film that can capture a car crash in, in vivid detail at night, that kind of stuff. Like we're constantly reminded of how good the information quality is and how good the record is. And yet still there's like the tension of will this information be enough? Uh, is John Travolta getting just ahead of the like the amount of information or the like amount of truth he would need to convince people to like lead to like uh to win so to speak to to be um like to build the the story again and like d- he t- remarks a few times that he wants to um like that he's going to blow up the story and that it's going to be uh big and it's going to like basically fix things it can, it's going to make the story right again it's going to like uh undo this corruption and reveal the those in power for who they are and like harry was saying there's just a futility to that throughout the movie that despite that still has a good bit of tension um mostly because of like we were talking about earlier for me, De Palma's like sense of how to keep things visually interesting and how to like inculcate the audience in that like sort of voyeurism of it. Um, I just find it like really interesting alongside the like mechanics of sound recording, which I just find myself really taken with in this movie. That's what keeps the like the tension high, the 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 pulse rate going throughout this movie for me. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, De Palma's like ability to literalize something intangible like truth, like visualize it and like make it something that you can at least like start to imagine. Like, how do I grasp onto this? And like how the different flavors of characters interpret 
truth, like not just, I mean, thinking about it, like what makes an eerie presence, like somebody like Lithgow, um, Burke, I, I, I should maybe start calling him by his characters, a Burke, um, like what makes him an eerie type of presence, not just in the movie, but like these, the, the Burks of the real world, those type, the types of the type of person who, ha- <clears throat> excuse me, has, uh, like a committed ideology and you can kind of look at it and be like, oh, well, there are obvious flaws in this uh even just like at its most base like burke is looking for uh nancy allen's character sally just like oh this person like dresses a certain way and they have blonde curly hair so like clearly that is the person that i need to go murder it's like well yeah it's like clear you know there's a clear set of check boxes to to what makes this dude's doodle uh yeah, a square is a rectangle kind you know of thing, or, but yeah uh, but then obviously he kills the wrong person. It's like, of course, flaws all over the place. Also killing someone probably, you know, not a, an innocent person, not a great thing to do. The flaws are, you know, are right there. Um, and how you compare that to, you know, somebody with a flawed ideology, compare that to somebody like Jack Terry, who from a storytelling perspective, we are still kind of learning about his ideology as we go. Um, he's like something of a complacent character, but presented with new initiatives and new information, his understanding of himself and his community and the world evolves as one would expect it to um, because that's what a rational person would do. Or you compare that to something like politicians who's, um, you know, like politicians in this movie, for example, uh, but also real world politicians whose agendas are influenced by um, the people who are involved, the per- the politician who they're trying to, you know, blackmail through, you know, photographs of uh, a blowjob or whatever else, you know, in a limousine, um, the people involved or the money uh, that's, you know, on the table, like the agendas that might sort of fluctuate and the type of people who are presented, you know, with uh, a certain semblance of the truth, you know, recorded uh, audio, snapped photographs, whatever the case might be, just like people who are not afraid to point at something and be like, oh, that truth, like that is not the truth or what truth that doesn't exist any longer because I went like that or I put a bullet in somebody. Um, So like it's, yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, I don't know, all, all that sort of, fr- the, and I guess the, I, I'm just speaking to natural, like, storytelling, um, you know, narrative pushes, you know, Lithgow's Burke, somebody is like a, a HAL 9000, you know, that sort of, uh, it's like, I, there is a clear directive here, but you can look at it because like, well, this, I see where they're coming from, but there are obvious flaws here in that go against you know, uh, the other, the opposing faction here. So clearly like that is, that is the antagonist or are they, um, but Bert, yeah, I don't know. So all that, in this case, yes, that's, um, Burke is not a very good person, but yeah, I don't know the, those again, trying to map these things to like, like the, the real world 2024 fears that, you know, I feel now and I can look at somebody else and say like, I'm, I have a reason to be frightened of this person because like their understanding of the world does not like, it's not based on rationality. It's not based on like uh, an updated psyche based on new, um, new stimuli, new information. Um, And I think a blowout very much exists in that space, but we're looking at different flavors of people, different types of characters and being like, well, what's, what do I have to be afraid of? Um, And the answer is everything. Wouldn't you agree, Harry? We should be afraid of everything. Yes, very much so. Uh, But, um, two things, uh, kind of going off of what you said and what Jason said as well. I love that this movie also critiques who we give, um, the authority to tell stories to and what that means about the stories. For instance, Burke ends up, spoilers, killing Sally, uh, because he impersonates the newscaster that they are going to finally trust with the information, right? So like, that's just one more sort of 
literal and figurative twist of the knife that like, hey, like finally we had this person who has enough authority, who has enough following and notoriety that we can give him this narrative that he'll be able to spin into something that will affect um that will affect what we need it to affect. And instead, even that is sort of manipulated and taken from you. And like you are um, made a fool for trusting that the, uh, that some authority will be able to help you with this narrative. Um, And then also, I think what you were getting at there, Cody, which I think is like, and I, I feel a little bit bad that we've gone so long talk, not talking about it. The real urgency behind this movie to my mind. And, and like, I think that, um, this really came into focus on my second viewing. It's not just that sort of like all possible truths are being obfuscated into this sort of like macro narrative that's supposed to keep people from seeing any truth. It's that all of these, like whatever happens in the world, it seems to be being like strategically or maybe even aimlessly culturally manipulated into hurting the same people over and over again forever. Uh, that is the marginalized, right? In this case, like it's not an accident that sex workers are the people who keep dying in this movie and eventually a woman, right? Um, I think Natalie Marlin, shout out, uh, frequent guest, upcoming guest, um, her writing on this uh, on Letterboxd helped me with this a lot. But it, but it was like, hey, like, like imagine, you know, you see at the beginning of this movie, it's about a co-ed slayer, right? Like, it's a titillating movie about a, a freak who kills sexy college students. That's kind of what this movie is too, right? Like, unfortunately, like, all of these narratives, like, a political sort of, like, uh, spat that turns into a botched assassination or an accidental assassination, somehow through the hands of the people who get to manipulate truth and get to manipulate narrative, they turn it into a reason to kill a bunch of women. <laughs> right. And like, and like by the end of the movie, that's all uh, like John Travolta's character has is like, well, I, I have this new good scream that I can add that I can make more art out of that. I can make something true out of. And it's like, what's behind that scream. Oh, it's, it's a woman actually being murdered. Right. And it, it's like, I think that to me is the real urgency behind this movie. Like not necessarily just like, Hey, consider how like you are being, uh, how the, the constant abstraction of, um, image and sound from truth and meaning is what that's doing to you. I think it's think about what it's doing to other people, right? Think about like what our sort of cynicism in our, um, like def those defense mechanisms we were talking about earlier. Think about like how that is, that is getting us to a place where we are less and less affected by the, the very real traumas that are unfolding around us. Right. And in, in that way, like I think that this movie is also prescient about like, say the fucking news, right? Like the fact that again, like what is it like every nine minutes, a Gazan child dies, right. Is, is like still being like bombed to death by Israelis. And like, like, wow, like when that started happening, I was thinking about it all the time. Now I'm not thinking about it all the time. And it's it's because I've been assaulted by it for so long, right? And I, I think that like what I really admire about this movie is that I think it's trying to get you back there, right? I think it's trying to be like, hey, like remember when you hear a scream on like a movie, that's somebody screaming, like, or at least it was at this time, which is another thing we can talk about as freaky. But um, and like that means something. Whether whether it means what it means right when we were um, 
in in the context of what you're watching it, it it is something worth remembering, right? That that pain, that suffering, that anguish, it's being like recycled into something else, but like it's important to remember that it exists wherever and everywhere, right? And um that that is what's really urgent about this movie to me. Yeah, and it it leads to like both a discussion of the ending and of Jack as a character. Um we might have time for both. Uh but like the ending, of course, uh, Jack is in the wake of Sally's murder. He has actually killed the killer and the noose has picked up on the story that she killed him in self-defense during her death. Um, and Jack left with nothing but the tape uh, recording that he was making of her wired um, when she was going to meet who she thought was the reporter, just listens back to it again and again and again is just replaying her final moments of life, ends up snipping the scream that she uttered during her death uh, and pastes it into the movie as the perfect place for the scream that he was looking for for his director at the beginning of the movie um and he appears like uh, harry was saying that we are just constantly inundated and we are like we end up being uh i forget the numbed it wasn't numbed that you said but like that like we're less and less affected by real traumas with more like uh layers of removal from them and because we watch them in the movies right right with and, with continuous yeah. like exposure to them and with recontextualization i mean the implication there is that um, Sally's scream, a real person's death. Well, in the movie, movie's fiction, a real person's death scream will be heard by however many people see this movie, and they'll all just assume cute, uh, you know, ending of of the movie. It's like really good acting, or maybe nobody thinks about it, and they just take it as part of what's going on on screen as a holistic piece, never considering like the capital or lowercase t truth of the situation. But he himself, at least in the wake of this, presumably this is weeks, maybe after her death, maybe days. Um he is like traumatized by it. He says, it's a good scream. It's a great scream and plugs his ears and starts weeping in the, uh, in a screening booth. Like that idea that there are some who will be continually like re-traumatized by it is, is the assumption there based on what you're saying about the, uh, or rather your take that the movie is like, uh, uh, trying to show to the audience, like, look, there are these things that you should remain, that should remain fresh, that should remain like you should consider the reality behind them is the assumption there that eventually if, how do I say this? If Jack is like the audience in that they're like numbed and sort of less affected by the repetition of trauma that he will eventually numb to it as well. Or is he like the case study of, Hey, stay, stay affected by this, so to speak. What do you, do you think that like in the, if this movie were extended I mean, by another act, that he would remain just like, you know, unfortunately kept up not a triumphant ending, right? No. Like I think that, I think that Jack is sort of like where we all get right. Where it's like the furthest we can get is like, I, like it, I think this movie is sympathetic to anesthetizing, right? I think it's even sort of sympathetic to Jack putting the scream into the movie as like grisly as that sounds, because it's like, that's, that's all we can do. Right. Is like, I think, I think that like as a metaphor for filmmaking, this is De Palma being like, like, fuck, like, I know that like women are suffering and like everything I do, everything I make, everything that I am is built off of that mm -hmm. suffering in one way or another, recontextualized, repackaged. All I can do is make something out. Right. Like all, all I can do is make a good screen because like, right. right. There's there's nothing else there for me to um and like you can you can argue about that right like you can argue that maybe De Palma didn't have to have so many women die in his movies uh and be as misogynistic as he often was um but like there there is there is that right like there's this idea that like I like I don't think that this movie has an answer to 
like, hey, how do how do we like wake ourselves back up? How do we like process everything that that we're being assaulted with and try to make sense of it? I think it's just a reminder that like, hey, like even if we're not processing all the time, like li- literally everything we are was built on blood, right? Like everything about America, everything about media was mm-hmm. built off of something, somebody's real suffering that was being recontextualized and repackaged and given to us for entertainment or for mm-hmm. somebody else's narrative. And, and like- I think I think it's important to remember in this movie's sort of like statement that like, despite the fact that maybe you'll only ever understand the repackaging, you have to like, like, don't let yourself be anesthetized into seeing something is only a product as opposed to something that is, you know, from somewhere real. Right. And like, uh, like Natalie said in her review, and I liked it quite a bit too, she ended with the phrase, we are, we are built on good screams. Like the nation, like just continues with this, whether they know that it's uh, like a factor of its making or no, like it, it is fundamental to how people shape and understand the world. I mean, especially in like literally you could make it the most basic level of like recorded history becomes a narrative becomes a like in a sense a fiction a a distortion of a thing that happened um and that like new understandings of it keep happening and it's like i was saying earlier there's that point at which it it just like nobody is left in control which makes again tying it back to jack makes him such like the tragic character in this movie i mean obviously sally truly the one who experiences tragedy more but like jack as the nexus of this of like he he is driven to um i don't know if like this is he's a strong character for anybody else on the pod for me is because like he is driven to in sort of a classical way driven to uncover corruption and find the good in the and like re- basically repair the sins of his past and that he made a, a a former sting go go down bad because his uh uh, his recording equipment fucked up and cost a, his fellow officer his life while he was trying to uncover police corruption in the Philly police force. Um, and in the story of this movie, he is trying to correct that in a way uh, and is yet like he gets absolutely to the truth. He has confirmation because he is killed. He is like followed the trail to the killer. It ended up in all that he has left uh, is is this is her final scream is like that is the only remaining fidelious thing in this is that he cannot prove he cannot like. Uh, share this understanding with the world because it's like now devoid of context. It's now like yesterday's news. He cannot like effectively make change from that. He cannot be what he wanted to be. He didn't want like he wanted to be an agent of change. He wanted to like uh, sniff out corruption and do something about it. Um, And he's unable to, but he did get to like that essential truth, which makes like that he, he, his suspicions were correct. It was a murder. There was somebody behind it. Uh, It was politically motivated and that person was going to target Sally next. He, 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 all of his suspicions are confirmed. He got to the truth and it meant essentially nothing to anybody but him. Um, and like, then that truth itself is buried in a shitty slasher movie that like a thousand people across the world will see. Um, yeah. And not not just, not just buried, but it's built into a continuation, right? Like by recontextualizing that scream, like, That scream is no longer the scream of a woman being murdered in a political cover-up. It's it's the scream of a co-ed dying uh, for right. a piece of entertainment that is itself going to sort of reinforce certain worldviews or uh, anesthetize certain people toward uh, future traumas, right? It just sort of like the system goes on. Uh, like the, the good scream is added to the sound library, right? And it, it's like these tools are are used against us even as we think we command them, I guess. Yeah. Um, I would like Aaron, to... Aaron, you were making a face. What was that face? Yeah, you were making lots of faces. That was a nod. 
Okay. I was, I was nodding along. I rarely see that from you. I rarely see agreement and assent from you. So. Whoa. I, no. I, I, I do a, I do a good, I, I, <laughs> that's a visual. I, I do, you know, I purse my lips in a positive fashion and give the kittle kind of curt, I do that a lot too. Quite a bit. I like Because of the mustache that hangs you over know? my lip, it's hard to tell. Let's talk about Sally. We've talked about like her position in the plot and sort of like where she, uh, who she is in the like world of the film, but we haven't talked much about how she's like leveraged there or who she is as a character. Um, I think it's interesting that she is like so manipulated by everyone in this movie, including Jack, right? Like she's sort of like thrown into uh, this conspiracy with him um, and had been like, even from the very start, right? Like, like she had this partner that she was going to set up this presidential hopeful for. He didn't tell her about the blowout situation. Like at, at every turn, like, like somebody is trying to profit off of this woman, right? Like in this, in this very cynical, obvious way. And it, it kind of makes it like the juxtaposition that this guy goes to kill sex workers. Uh, it, it's, it's an uncomfortable parallel, right? For sure. Mm hmm. I mean, I guess she comes to mind as a as a point of conversation separate of her direct relationship to Jack and to the main plot is because when she's introduced, she's, you know, out of it. She's just experienced a car accident. She's sort of whatever. But once they get to Jack's uh, motel or like wherever she's staying, she like plays super coy about the whole thing. Like she she has no real shame about being part of this corruption plot. She's been working with Manny for years, presumably on like stinging people and uh, extorting, etc. And yet she play like she's uh, sort of she's avoiding his questions. She's like diverting the conversation back to her work in sort of makeup and styling versus talking about the events of the evening. And I just think that it's interesting that this character, who is so comes to be obviously like the whole plot, um, is so directly like in she, she's indirectly defined by it. She is like she doesn't fall into his arms saying like, yes, you got to help me unravel this conspiracy conspiracy. She's like, she herself is hiding her own uh, truths here and there. And she gets to keep some of them. Like, I don't think that Jack ends up meeting Manny at all before. I I think it's implied that uh, Sally kills him with the bottle breaking up uh, upside his head, or at least knocks him out. Um, But that like that she gets to have again, we're not, nobody's going to super defend De Palma's like uh, creation or depiction of women on screen, but she gets to have some interiority there. And I just find it interesting uh, juxtaposition between that and like the way that Nancy Allen chose to play the character. Um, uh, the uh, Criterion republished a review that Pauline Kale published of this of this movie in 1981, and she said uh, she called her something like a dumb dust bunny or something like that. Like the pl- the way that the character is played. And apparently that was intentional on the part of Nancy Allen was like, I wanted her to be sort of like uh, underestimated and, and like a little bit aloof in that way um, as a character. And for me that ended up working second time around first time around, I were like, I do remember that she was defined by like her sort of flitting aloofness. Um, but this time around it made more sense as to like who she is and what she's trying to hide and what she's trying to like preserve about herself throughout the course of the movie. Um, did that ring to you, Harry? Well, and I mean, she has her own motivations and her own narrative, right? Like, I, I think it's super important that, like, she's the only one smart enough to just be like, hey, like, I don't want to have anything to do with this. I want to get the fuck out of Dodge because 
I know what this is. Like, I, I would say that it's obfuscated a little bit because she seems so surprised at the end of the movie that somebody's trying to kill her in a way that seems sort of like weird to me. But up mm. until that point, she actually like, she felt like she was less naive than Jack in a lot of ways where she was like, Hey man, like, I know what this is. Like, I know that like I was paid to create this alternative narrative. Uh, now it's gone wrong and like, I'm going to be the fall person. So like, don't wrap me up in your shit because like, you're not going to be the person who ends up suffering for this. They're, I'm the one that they want. And she's right about that, right? Um, I also thought as a sort of aside, um, her relationship to makeup is really fascinating, right? Because that's her own tool for defining a narrative. She says she knows how to fix a face. That's what she wants to do. She's like that. It's about her presentation and the way that she presents other people. She likes to help people bring their best foot forward. That's not unlike um, what Jack does with sound or what De Palma does with um, his films, exactly. except that, yeah. uh, I mean, it's even a, a similar filmmaking technique, right? Like she refers to it as like, I'm interested in makeup be- or in film because I do makeup. And so like this, this movie also becomes a metaphor for like, Hey, who gets to tell the stories? Who gets to like spin the narrative? And it turns out it's people who are connected like Burke, people who are white sociopaths, Right, who are also in the upper echelons of the American government, and not people like Sally, who are sort of um, under in Burke's eyes, made to be used and abused, and have their agency stolen from them. I guess. No, totally, and I think Sally's characterization is another reason why this movie plays relatively well upon rewatch, because you figure out in like one of your final kind of conversation scenes with her and Jack, just kind of like how, how much she like, you know, cause she is very aloof at first. Obviously she is, um, you know, drugged up through hospital, you know, she's like, we're going to sedate her. She's like, Oh, just kidding. We're going to get her out of here. So she's pretty out of it. And then she is, she, she occupies, she very clearly occupies a space of, you know, I accept that I'm probably not going to be able to follow my dreams of like being a person who like does makeup on like more like, a you know, I'm, I'm obviously passionate about it, but like I exist in the space where like I cannot make a living off of this right now, um, but I can make steady cash put, you know, uh, getting into, you know, modest blackmail type situations. Nobody's dying or anything, but just, you know, like a, a, a good time followed by a, a few photographs and like, um, yeah, I mean, as soon as you introduce the whole language, like, I can't make a, a living otherwise, and nobody's, you know, dying up to this point. Um, and so, like, she she understands that side of the hustle, and she also has that understanding. Uh, I was like, yeah, I do got to get the fuck out of Dodge now, because this, like, goes beyond modest blackmail. Um, but that is, it's introduced, like, relatively late in the game, um, and it does, yeah, I don't know, upon rewatch, like, getting getting a sense, and I, all the credit to, to Nancy Allen for playing her, and, like, it's, it's a, it's a, tough line i think that she is walking because it it very and like De Palma as well is is also walking along that line where it could just fall into like a weird transgressive um type of woman character that uh De Palma has written before and will write again following uh this movie but i don't know i i think i'm content with how she's how she's leveraged here um but yeah sally i just an underrated cog and i remember that every time that i come back to revisit this movie that's a good way to say it underrated cog because like I never let go of this. Like Harry was saying, she ends up like seeming somewhat surprised that somebody's after her, that maybe somebody would have lied to her about who they are at the train station and tried to kill her. Well, successfully killed her. Um, and it makes me think like uh, Cody, if you're, since you're pretty 
uh, pleased with how the character is at least, you know, how she's built and stuff since you've like appreciator as part of the, not, not to put words in your mouth, appreciator as part of the movie and like the part she plays and how she's leveraged. Um, does it bother you that she's not like that? She doesn't always appear in front of the conspiracy that she doesn't appear like more willing to, I guess, more aware of what's going on. Or is, is there something that I didn't see about that character? No, I, I mean, that's, that's a fair, it's a fair question. I think like her and Jack coming into this situation are not like, they're not on the same plane. And I think it's like understandable that they would come into this with like a different sort of, like a a different sort of impetus. Like, whereas Jack is with him, I don't know, like being him being the more like his hand was forced. He had to, he had to die. He felt compelled based on his, you know, characterization up to that point to dive into a body of water and like rescue a person to save her life versus somebody like Sally, who is um, like, like almost jaded, uh, you know, used to, to having the world put upon her and her, like getting that like small bit of like, I, I'm going to get you. And that like, I will get like a modest amount of money to make this worth my while. Um, and I think maybe in a different movie, you would see her like deployed more heavily. I don't necessarily dock this movie from like her not being more so or not getting to the point where she like is uh, down to be on sort of Jack's plane of involvement or like you like really see that thrust come through obviously she decides at the end to like wear the microphone and that is like maybe the best version of like how she could deploy herself in this based on kind of like what mm-hmm. we've seen from her and how, like her like her again her mileage up to that point um i don't that's just kind of like how i'm i'm that's hitting me now yeah. Harry. i don't know if you feel differently about that or I jason actually, or, Aaron or I- anybody I've been thinking about this a lot, and I think you're bringing me around on it a lot. I think the word I keep coming back to is disenfranchisement, which is just like totally who her character is, right? Is like, unlike Jack, right? Like, like Jack is kind of, he feels entitled to the truth, right? Like, he, he's like, I'm a sound man. I'm an ex-cop. This is what I do. I can make this happen. I just need your help and forces her hand into it, right? And I'd go back on what I said before because, well, I think that like, ostensibly a stronger female character might have more um, understanding of her place in um, this story. I, I think that like it, it, there's something more impactful about the fact that like Sally is one over because even she doesn't understand that like Jack is not the, the problem here. She is right. Like, like she, she is the one that has the power. She's the one that needs to be eliminated and she's the one that is going to suffer. Right. And so like ultimately this this becomes a story about Jack using Sally like mm-hmm. she was used by everyone else to affect his own version of the truth and failing and getting her killed. Right. Like I know that's harsh. And I think it's really interesting the way that this movie sort of like it positions us to see the movie from the point of view of Jack. Right. To the point where we get frustrated. We're like, why is Sally not helping him? Like, why is she so, like, afraid? She can't even articulate why herself, right? Like, she's just sort of like, oh, I don't know. It doesn't sound like a good idea. If she could articulate it, she would be like, hey, dog, like, I'm taking all the risk and I'm going to die. Like, if I get involved with this, not you. She can't do that, right? And I think it's better that she can't because then that that is something that the movie itself can remind us of at the end. Yeah, It's it's like, like oh, shit. Like, like we, we were in Jack's position, right? It was like, oh, we want Sally to go with him. We want to use Sally the way Jack wants to use Sally. And then Sally dies. And it's like, ah, fuck. Like, that was 
like we did yeah. that to her it gives right? her like it, a, a place to, like something to something to grow into like a, a self-awareness and then very cynically and perhaps quote-unquote problematically like she's killed at the end of it before she really yeah. can before she like has her moment of well, heroism then, so to speak and then jack still uses her right jack just incorporates mm-hmm. that scream into in and it's like that's what it is that's what like this whole system is right is yeah. like like we are we are using these people uh and like grinding them up and then recontextualizing what happened to them to serve our own narrative so that we can continue to do that you know yeah i mean like Again, Pauline Kael's review, I took another quote from it, and it's that Sally, who accepts corruption without a second thought, is charmed by Jack because he gives it a second thought. Uh, She probably doesn't guess how much uh, thought he does give it, and he's drawn to Sally because she lives so easily in the corrupt world. And like, while while I'm not like totally sold on the entire idea, it does get to the uh, like why they orbit each other is like this essential pull toward you know. And I, I think this is one situation where um, genre trappings can be useful too, right? Like the femme fatale is always attracted to the t- detective because the detective is a naive idiot. He's an, a naive, idealistic idiot who doesn't live in the world, and she does. Is she a femme fatale? Would do you read her as a femme fatale? I, I, I think I think that not necessarily no, but I think that that that's the role that she is playing in this story a little bit. I I, I think my my like very obvious read is that. He is the sound guy for movies, and he wants to continue being the sound guy for movies. And she is, as an actress, cast as a, you know, slasher victim, right? And so she ends up being, you know, not slashing literally because he saves her from that in time. But yeah, she is the one who is, you know, he wants to sit back and listen in and, and check the sounds. And she is the one who is, you know, stalked by a guy with a knife and a fucking... You She's know, the one who's what is yeah, that called? Exactly. What is that called? There's an a word nice pick? A, trip, what, a wire? Oh. No. What is the you know the uh, classic yeah, man yeah. style? Um, what the fuck? Rabbit what? piano wire. wire I it's guess. a piano. Yeah, it's a piano wire. wire. Sure. Yeah. 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 Right. Like so. Like he he is like you know he's not casting her per se. I think that's maybe reading a bit too much into it. But like yeah, he's a sound guy and she's the one who gets murdered. You know that's that's yeah. the role she has to play in in his film. You know there are a lot of thoughts about this movie and I'm not trying to make them all cohesively flow. Uh, but I like the, the relationship of the core, like truth and, uh, and, and manipulation of it and turning it into, I mean, we haven't said the word content yet, but turning it into content essentially is like, I, it's like when I think about that theme and the, like, uh, the construction of that narrative lens for this movie makes me like really appreciate scenes like the one where I think after John Lithgow has, or uh, Cl- Clyde Boyd, his, the murderer guy, I forget the character's name. Neither of those. It's Burke, Burke, Burke. Clyde Boyd, Burke. Uh, you could have gotten away with it just by saying Lithgow, man. You don't have to do this. I don't know. I, I like, can, to, I like, like to pay some respect to the characters that people build a little bit. Sure. Uh, pretend that I, I watched. Lord the movie Farquaad. Thank you. Um, Jason, big respecter of Burke. Uh, in you know, this movie and, and just, everything that he does, he just got a lot of get up and go. Um, uh, the like, what after he uh, erases all of Jack's tapes and uh, and and Jack is just going through his room, like discovering that everything's destroyed. It's not the overhead shot, but that is a fantastic one. It's the three hundred sixty degree shot that's like moving in. I think it's moving in contra Hell motion. I that and like all of the sounds, like the bleeping, maybe bleeping better than the owl shot. I, I, I think who so can too. say who can yeah. say? I mean, we can say it's our podcast. Um, but like that, just like if I had to pick a, a, a you know, one shot 
it's literally a one shot scene, but like that scene, one scene that sort of like sums up how that movie, how the whole, whole movie feels to me. It is like the intersection of the very mechanical processes of the distortion and manipulation of sound paired with, oh, the panic of this moment, knowing that all of his evidence is gone and everything in his apartment is in his studio is gone. And uh, like what we're left with is not sure how much of it is diegetic and how much of it is inserted, but just like a lot of contextless sound effects, bleeping and blooping and sirens and traffic and, uh, you know, voices and stuff. And it's, uh, if, if all of his tapes were supposed to have been destroyed, I guess I don't know how many of those would have still been audible if Jack's walking around the room playing them all. But that uh, moment of like, oh shit, everything's falling apart. And we're reminded of why it's falling apart. We're reminded of like why it's falling apart is because somebody's trying to like put together a narrative of what happened and build like they're trying to do essentially because of what Jack is trying to do, things are now falling apart because he's trying to build a story because he's trying to like get at the heart of a thing by reconstructing elements of actual events, which is his literal job in a new context. That's why things are going this way. Uh, and it's just so like, I, I just love that scene uh, in particular because of the way that it leverages that, uh, like the actual mechanics of that job of that, of that act. Um, but also because like it sings very like clearly and thematically, were there any other moments like that for you folks? Uh, we'll say Aaron, were there any moments where like just seeing the whole, like, Oh, the fingers on the tape and the playing of the things that one, if it was just neat for you and two, like, do you give a shit about that? And two, like, did it sing at all thematically or narratively? Yeah, I think that, frankly, I think that's the best aspect of the film. Uh, I, I like the conspiracy stuff, but I don't think it's necessarily like my, my favorite aspect. I like the performances, but it, it's not like. I think they all do a good job, but, I, you know, I I'll, frankly, I think Lithgow maybe could have been given a bit more time to to ham it up. Uh, in a weird way, right? So, like, I think my favorite hmm. aspect of this film is the audio-visual just kind of, you know, you, you could tell De, De Palmo's just, like, a big nerd about it, right? He's just a big Hitchcock guy. He's just a big movies nerd. And, the, the you know, the chance for him to kind of just, you know, flex a little bit, uh, he, he you know, kind of just kind of jumps at the opportunity. Yeah, yeah all the, like the scenes of, of Travolta, yeah. right? Travolta making his own movie, right, out of the pictures, matching it up with the sound like that shit's the best part of this movie, like far and away for me. Um, so yeah, I don't, I, I like, I like when there's a director who is like arguably an auteur who you just can tell is like, you know, just gonna take 10 minutes just to fucking do what he wants. You know what I mean? For a little bit. I, I like that. A lot of people call it indulgent, uh, depending on who does it. We call it um, going God. I, I always kind of like, dig it. I think we've always it's appreciated not, that. I I don't think that's indulgent at all. I think it's the fucking point of the it's, movie, though, right? Like it is, it's but not, it's like yes, I I, I agree. Mean, like, but it's uh, it it is tapping into De Palma's uh, uh kind of personal interest, uh, usual his comfort hyperfixation. Yes, it is very obvious. Like, damn, De Palma wants to make a movie about like uh, uh you know like movies and like you know fucking uh, observing. And like how the the kind of audience impacts uh, the observed like object, right? And like that's what he wants to do, and he's just fucking really horny for making a movie about that. And like I dig it; it's cool. Like yeah, let him make fifty of those, you know? Yeah, I guess I you're right. Like I just think that like that's also literally what he wants to use this movie to say, right? Like what what he wants to do is like hey, like look at this process, like, remember it, remember how physical it is, remember how real it is, remember that it's real people doing this on every level at every part. And like, it's, it's intrinsic reality 
uh, transcends the recontextualization, which is why at the end of this, like the scream is still there. And it's still something to remember, right? Like basically it, by the it, end of this yes. movie, it's like, remember that this scream is something that is happening. It is a justification for it. I, there, there's like kind of a few different ways to read that scream. Like uh, on one hand, like it is, I think it is kind of a justification for the kind of movies that Palma makes, right? That like there is an element of, of like truth there, truth, right? Yeah. Like, yes, there is, there is schlock. There is, you know, uh camp. There is also, you know, that kind of scream underneath. I think the other thing it's saying is that, like, you know, in a society with no avenues for this kind of thing to to bubble up to the surface, the way that it that it does bubble up is is through culture, it's, right? Yeah. Which is uh, a little pretentious, but also true. A little pretentious, but also true. Try love podcast. Um, I, I like kind of a response to Jason's initial question, but also a response to like the Lithgowness of this movie. Uh, uh, the scenes where it's like, I, I agree. I, part of me is like, I would like to see Lithgow cook a little bit more. We do. And like, I think that maybe that sentiment is tied more to like him engaging with like the main characters of the film, like which he does at the end, but he does have two like five ish minute scenes basically by himself surgically kind of going about what he believes his, like, you know, his masterwork, like he's got his own agenda. He's a dog off the leash and like kind of like weird, in a way, like if you squint at it, sort of parallels like how surgical like Jack goes about, um, you know, his work. I don't think there's anything mm-hmm. grander to say about that other than just like there is like there is somebody out here putting in like very skeevy sort of work. <laughs> uh, and it's it's like the idea of, you know, the fact that we don't know this like this is an unknown force or like an unseen evil. And like, that's what makes it so much more terrifying is like, we don't know like what's behind all this, like, you know, rear window, we, we see the guy across the way, but he like, we, he, and then he's, you know, that it's so scary because we don't know what he's doing. And then he's like directly confronting us and like, oh, that's like knowing the evil and confronting it. And it's just like, oh, actually knowing what Burke is up to is like, that's way more terrifying like actually understanding where the scream comes from is like so like that's so much more devastating um so that's yeah i don't know i on one hand i would have liked to have seen more lithgow but on the other hand i like that we've you know like that hour 45 minute movie just like 10 minutes or so of that is devoted to just him like surveying a scene much like jack would with his microphone and just being like how am i gonna fucking kill these innocent sex workers what's (laughs) it's what's the next move um yeah shout shout out to burke for i mean well i agree with everything that he does real real quick the 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 scene with the uh uh the sailor what is he the the guy who gets the the blowjob in the the telephone booth the Uh scene that Uh could be completely cut from the film with absolutely no uh no it's incredible what are you talking about it's incredible what are you saying what do you what do you mean i I just exactly what i said pumping three times and going oh shit you know what I mean? That's very also. It's, uh, that, it's, it's hilarious. Yeah. Saw this movie, then went and saw Fanny and Alexander, another movie with a very uh, funny uh, 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 premature ejaculation joke. Two in a row. The mm. the old the old premature ejaculation twofer, as I like to call it. Hmm. Uh, it's funny. It's a very that 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 way of uh, filming a guy getting a blowjob and his reaction to it, and then tied into. Uh, is this a junk drawer like, thought? <laughs> no, I think we're we in the junk drawer. Save anything for the junk. I fucking get it out in the episode, man. I, you get, you know, 
that combined with Sally's manner of speaking is so 1970s, early 1980s, like that sort of like, that sort of like, I don't, the way that Sally speaks is like, oh, yeah, I don't, I can't even do it. It's like, it's like a thing that I've only heard on like skits from like 1960s and 70s rock albums. I've never heard anybody speak like that in my, re- I've been to the fucking East Coast. Nobody talks like that. People did for like <laughs> 20 years in America. It makes no fucking sense. That and then the guy just getting a blowjob and going like, oh, shucks. Is, is, there's something, a point in time. There was, there was never any fucking, nobody talks like that anymore. That version of America is gone, okay? It's like going to the fucking drive-in and getting a burger and fries and a milkshake and sitting on the roof of the car. Dime. It's gone. It's it's gone. It's gone. <laughs> Do you understand? Anyway, sorry. It's gone. Um, uh, Just to comment on Lithgow's performances, Burke, again, truly unsettling the way that he calls in at the news. Uh, I think he's calling the either the police station or the newsroom. And like impersonating a version of himself that is like the deranged psychopathic killer who's losing control and, uh, you know, murdering these prostitutes across the city or at least young women. Um, and like the way that he acts that whole scene in the phone booth without moving his face almost at all, tr- truly like disgustingly effective. Uh, he's unfortunately John Lithgow, very good at being either like an uncle in movies or the most deranged, disgusting, horrible person you've ever seen. Uh, really, really fantastic work from Lithgow in this one. Um, that's my last thought on Lithgow. Uh, are we ready for junk? Oh, real quick. Or? No, uh, look, adding to my insane rant a second ago, egg creams, those oh three God. things talking like that, egg creams, uh, what getting a blowjob. What the fucking hell are you talking I was, about? I was, man? I was willing <laughs> to tie this to the Burke conversation just you know a minute ago, saying? but now you're just railing against. No, like, nobody knows America. what the fuck you're saying. You don't know what I'm saying that. Okay. I know. Have you ever it's, had an egg it's cream? It's being from the okay. East coast, motherfucker. What the fuck are you no, talking about? It's it's something different. It's it's mid twentieth century East Coast. It's, right, it's, it's, it's nobody gone. talks about Poughkeepsie anymore, says Aaron. Nobody wants to go on the Intercontinental. Nobody goes to Atlantic City anymore. Even even movies that take place in that time period no longer have that sort of affect as like a period piece. It's the, yeah, because people a, who are thirty years old are making them. They don't understand it. It's there's something about it that's very upsetting. It's gone forever. You know. Hmm. Going down to the getting a sodi pop from the fountain. It's gone. Okay, it's gone. <laughs> Go get me a bicarbonate of soda, Do the boy. Fucking junk drawer. Uh, no, That's nobody, just... nobody, ha- nobody has a midlife crisis and, and gets to the point where they need their friend Clarence to come down from the heavens and save their life. It just when when I was growing up, when I was growing up at the movie theater in St. Cloud, Minnesota, uh, the Parkwood 18, it was at the time. Now it's something I want to go play video games a, so fucking bad. There was, a, there was a Parkwood diner across the street that was like this old timey 19, I don't know, 40s, 50s diner. It was like, you know, polished metal, looked like a fucking fender on a car sort of situation. And you could go in there and you could get, if you were a kid, their kids meals it was like, you know, a little burger and fries and a drink. And they would give it to you in this little cardboard car that they had like constructed and your burger would go in the middle and the fries would go on the end. And it was like this little kind of toy car on a cardboard. They would bring your meal in. And that's what I'm talking about. Okay. It's if you don't get it, something. it's, I'm just saying it's, there's something very distinct that I, Back I can't you can explain. Take a walk in your goddamn neighborhood. <laughs> you know, fellas? You no, car that's not what I'm saying. You're adding elements to what I'm saying here unnecessarily. People could leave their doors unlocked at night, and they didn't have to worry There's, about the crazies coming to get them. I, I will... Just, I will. 
I will concede yeah. Dairy Queen Blizzards used to be bigger. Like what happened yes. to that America? Yes. So did so did like, they, they used, used, to, be used so, to be bigger? They I I'm gonna stand by that. You might have been smaller. You I'm looking up, about okay, that? No, Paul that's was not a it. New Jersey guy. Okay, I think yes. D- it's just I don't know what it is. Something about Hi Mom has it too with the way that all those characters, the, especially the female character, fucking speaks. The the main uh, uh, it's because they're Mom. from New Jersey. I know, but I it's it's you can go to New Jersey. People don't speak like that right now. It's it's crazy. It's, is there another regional accent that just no longer fucking exists like that? Like people say that about the Minnesota, like oh shut, but like people do talk like that in fucking Luxembourg. I grew up right next to them. Okay, there's no other mm-hmm. regional accent that just has been demolished. You know, it just doesn't fucking exist anymore. It's because it never was actually the regional accent. It was a fucking media portrayal of... You think that Hollywood right. invented New Jersey accents? Is that No, I don't. But I think that, like, uh, Americana as, like, this cultural movement was was often represented by that accent. Like, it doesn't fucking exist. Nobody's fucking going around this, saying... This Hollywood is, did kind of make up transatlantic accents. That's true. I don't know if, I don't know if that's, like, a conflation. I mean, I, I think... The only I other think... comparable thing is, like, the newscaster, like, like perfectly neutral, like, Midwest shit that like you know they hire newscasters who like have like mm-hmm. the most neutral i understand it's not actually neutral please don't we don't need to dig into it but like the most neutral like I, I don't know like like it's like perfectly in the middle of that fucking circle you know what i mean to be like the most inoffensive to everybody uh it, it's like that is the only thing comparable to the fucking east coast you know philadelphia new jersey fucking 1960s accent i'm i'm heated I'm ready for our next segment. Yeah, let's do it. It's the one that nobody ever gets on board with. It's called Other Loves We've Tried, and it's about movies that we've covered on this podcast that were released in the same year that this one was. Uh, That year, just to remind everybody at home, uh, is 1981, the year 1981. Um, So we, uh, for episode 82, we covered Son of the White Mare with Sarah C.M. Bay Huskin. What a fucking great movie. Uh, episode 109. That was episode 82? That was episode 82. Just Jesus move right past it. We have tripled our episode count since then. Thank you uh, just for keeping track, everybody. Uh, also, on episode 109, we have also doubled, not quite tripled, but we have doubled this number episode. Uh, 109 on Time Bandits with uh, a friend of the pod and former roommate of Jason's, uh, Seth Zarati. Uh, that wasn't that fucking long ago. Is uh, don't don't look. Uh, there's a reason I haven't I included lived in a published dates. State when yeah. we recorded that, man, there, there, I had a different life. There's a reason that I haven't inclu- included published dates for any of these episodes I'm mentioning, and just like episode numbers is because I would throw myself out the uh, old shitty plate glass window that sits in front of me. I would end up landing on one section of the roof of the house. I'd be just fine, probably a little scraped up, but it would be the most miserable experience of my day. Just to make things worse. Episode 112 uh, was on Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, that was part of the Nonline Boys pick during the height of uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, at least the height of the beginning of it, uh, when we chose movies that we just wanted to talk about. I think maybe that was the first of the series, um, and it was my choice, uh, and I appreciated everybody for give, giving me that chance to choose it because we all kind of like that movie. Uh, episode 148 about The Aviator's Wife, which I think was the first in our series about er- uh, the movies of Eric Romare, right? Um and we've never looked back. Uh, episode 153. Um, uh, Just Pez- Romer? Or, I, I pronounced it Romare. Am I wrong? Continue. Whatever. Uh, we had 153, episode 153 about possession with uh, the firmly cemented freakuary uh, guest, uh, Blake Hester. Um, he has joined since for other episodes in January's that have been just the freakiest shit he can pulse, uh, possession. And now most recently burst city, uh, check him out. He's got a few podcasts and stuff. Uh, and episode 198, more than 50 episodes ago, we're looking at road games. Remember that gem, Jamie Lee Curtis and, uh, uh, what the hell is it? Stacy, 
States Keech? Is that his name? Something like that. Good movies. Remember that video we tweeted where he says cock? Ha 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 ha. Cock. <laughs> Good stuff. I remember yeah, I that do. video, I remember Jason. That. Uh, Jason remembers. Uh, thank you so much for bearing with uh, through another other, another segment. Uh, I'll, I'll come up with a sound effect eventually. We'll see for other loves we've tried. That was other loves we've tried. Thank you so much for. Uh, we uh, we have one more segment before we get to the end of the episode, um, which itself concludes with a segment. So I guess we're looking at the penultimate segment here, and it's called the junk drawer. It's that skittery scattery hey, have you guys ever door. noticed that like this accent that they've got in these in these 70s and 80s movies it doesn't really exist anymore it's like you can't you can't find that anymore. i'm sick of this i'm sick of this i'm sick of this uh i have a couple of actual junk drawer thoughts that literally would not have fit anywhere else in the conversation uh prep yours if you got them put your hands up get ready uh and they stay there uh my junk drawer thoughts are that dennis france who plays uh many um uh the the, the photographer guy who employs sally as uh, for sting operations and uh and uh, um fucking blackmail operations dennis france looks i mean as soon as i see him on screen he is the exact face and countenance of uh sean hillman sorry sean tillman the uh harmar superstar local um sex offender and uh former pop star from minnesota uh really visibly and palpably sean tillman about that guy i've seen him twice in person Never will interact with him, but I've seen him twice in person in real life, and just he gives me the same stink as as uh, as Dennis France. Fantastic actor, Dennis France. I know nothing about him except the Brian De Palma movies. Strong in. Greek energy, but yeah, re- really big Greek energy off that guy. I mean, yeah, I, I'll, I'll own that. Yeah. Um, Messy shirt, me- checking all the boxes. Never wearing a full set of clothing uh, in anything he's doing. Uh, what he is wearing is torn and tattered and shitty. Uh, he's balding in two different distinct spots. Uh, I also love the prominent, obviously it's, you know, baby goo goo gaga lights and color shit, but like, I just love the prominence and the increasing prominence of red, white, and blue as color schemes in this movie. Um, it's seated pretty early with like, Oh, the motel is blue and the lights, neon lights outside are red and stuff. But then it like, gets pretty on the nose where, uh, uh, Jack himself is wearing like a really maroon shirt and a blue and a blue jean jacket by the end. And he parks his very blue, like Jeep Wrangler type car right next to a very red, uh, Chevrolet, you know, fucking sports hot rod type car at, at the very end when they get to the station and stuff, just like an increasing frequency and prominence of that color scheme of the American flag color scheme as we get toward the end. And he crashes a parade with it. Speaking of which the music in the parade crashing scene where Jack realizes what's going on, that the reporter has been duped uh, or has been, uh, uh, you know, taken out of the equation and he's racing his ass all the way to the train station in his car and he blows through the parade and he runs into a fucking <laughs> a reenactment of a hanging in colonial America. <laughs> what a fucking incredible scene. But the music in that scene, it's not the entire song. I found it statistically important to mention that part of that song is in five, four, not the last time you'd hear that in a Brian De Palma movie. If you know what I mean, everybody in the uh, Mission Impossible movies. Uh, so thank you. Is there is there a is there a time signature that is like more common yet people pretend like it's not common than five four? Recently, it's like, it's uh, seven eight seven eight it, like seven eight I, is the I big. It's like every prog um, song's in fucking yeah. seven eight. It's I, so cool to put songs. And it's in seven, fine. Eight, it's seven, fine. Eight, don't you know? do it, but don't talk Everybody's about like, it. Just don't seven, talk about that it. That Rush song is in. You can eight. use it. You can use seven eight all day. You can have the whole song. Don't just make your breakdown. There's an eighth or note missing. Arguably, you shouldn't talk about time signatures at all. 
You're trying <laughs> to count that in four. <laughs> Not so bad. <laughs> did you know? So Nathan, I'm missing. Uh, well, I mean, I, I did just do that about 5-4 in this. But I find it fun that Mission Impossible theme 5-4, also music in this movie 5-4, uh, also used for suspense and panic. I uh, really quite liked uh, hear, hearing that. And it's a good theme, too. Really great sound of music in this movie. Um, hat tip to Pino Donaggio, who made the music for this. Um, really, uh, all, all-timer name, too. Uh, thank you so much for allowing me to share my junk drawer thoughts. Um, I believe Cody had his hand up next. Yeah, all-timer name, all-timer pronunciation as well. Uh, excellent form, Jason. Uh, the, oh, boy. Uh, Sounds like, a, God, del- went back for like more. a delicious Italian soda drink of some <laughs> it does, kind. It <laughs> Oh, I I know I could use one, um, and I could also use a, a an amendment to a conversation that Harry and I had after this movie. We saw it together. We we're we're talking about our favorite De Palma movies, and I forgot that he did Mission Impossible. And like as I got in my car, I was like, "Oh yeah, that like that's probably my pick," which is kind of weird because in retrospect, like it, it, a it does not feel like a Brian a quote unquote Brian De Palma movie, and b it like the Mission Impossible franchise has steered away from that, but it might be my favorite De Palma movie and my favorite Mission Impossible movie. Um, but if we're excluding that, Blowout is probably my favorite De Palma. Um, I don't know if that's uh, a, a quick, you know, like round table we want to get into or not, but I, I will just softly plant my flag there. Um, that that's probably my favorite. I really like uh, the movie Carrie. I really like this movie and Mission Impossible. If you asked me to pick, it'd probably be this movie. I like uh, Snake Eyes and um, what's the other one uh, that we talked about, Cody? I can't remember. Uh, 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 Body Double? No, Body Double is the one I was thinking of. Thank you. Um, Phantom of the Paradise would also would probably be. Phantom of the Paradise is great. Yeah, that's up there for me Body Double all-time cover. All time, yeah, cover fantastic art, poster, yeah. Be- yeah. incredible. The the stripper character tells the main character that she's got a dance that's a guaranteed ten on the Peter meter. <laughs> I think about that line <laughs> a whole lot. I think about the Peter meter a lot. Uh, let's see. My last junk drawer thought is so um, speaking of yeah, it is. It's uh, she teaches him how to dougie. Um, but uh, my my junk short thought is speaking of self indulgence. I love how like ostentatiously uh, Hitchcock the score in this movie is oftentimes like way too big for what's happening. Um, I think that like there there are times when I am really taken out of this movie by the score, but also the score rocks. So what are you going to do? I guess um, I don't necessarily. T- taken against this movie i also think it's hilarious that half the time it's hitchcock the other half it's like the like weird sex 80s funk music uh really wild score happening in this movie um but you gotta love it what about the very end like the very moving dramatic strings it's great that's like the only time that the hitchcock soundtrack kind of works yeah Yeah, it's really good well, I will hop on that boat and say nobody asked me my favorite i mean i said put up we were all just kind of saying man you can go ahead yeah, Aaron. Did uh, you have well, one? I thought we'd go around. Honestly, it's probably high mom. Probably high mom. Yeah, I mean it's either that or this. Oh, fucking probably high mom. Jesus I mean, I thought Christ. Harry was was. They, like, they also did I thought Harry was doing the mom. hot takes by saying like, "Oh, my favorite diploma, Snake Eyes." And you Snake Eyes rules, dude. Have you seen I think Snake people, Eyes? People on people like universally love Snake Eyes these days. I think it's great. Oh man, I love yeah. that movie. Hmm. I'll see it. It's but high mom's good too. High mom, pretty good. High mom. Best pick nominee. One of the 10 best films shown at the trial. On last That's right. Year. Uh, eliminated after some contention. Go back and listen to that. It was like four hours long. 
Uh, well, thank you, y'all. I'll close up the junk drawer uh, with that definitive ranking of Brian De Palma's, I don't know, four of his like 800 movies. or He's got like at least 20, 25 movies over his career, right? It's an easy, easy filmography to dive into. Thank you so much, though. 40. 40? 40 films? 40 directorial features? Wow. What a man. Uh, I hope he's got at least one. Is he still working? I guess I don't know the last thing he really directed. Anyway. I think it's... Was it Black uh, Dahlia? He did like, he's done, like, kind of generic action. He did one with the, with the guy from Game of Thrones. Uh, Nikolai Kostrovaldau. You know, yeah, Domino, I think that was called, right? Domino. Oh. Which I think people thought was maybe not very good. Mm, bummer. The problem, yep. the problem is that was filmmaking does not, I would say, really hold up to, like, a modern style, which is fortunate to say because I like his filmmaking, but it's it's hard to imagine him making a movie in 2024 and having I, it feel kind of fresh. I don't know. It's unfortunate. I don't you know, know man. I mean? Like, I feel like with the rise of millennial, like people getting interested in movies and trying to pay attention to them and like identifying film styles and stuff and starting yeah. podcasts. And sh- I feel yeah. like there's room for, Oh, you know. I, I just think it, it would take you out of the fit. You're watching a film and like, yeah, maybe you're like, Oh damn, DePaul is back. He's got these visuals, but then someone starts talking in this East coast kind of 1960s, 70s accent. It completely fucking takes you out of it, and I, I just and think the it, you know, ruined, you'd have yeah. a hard time getting over that. De Palma, did he ever have it? It's a variety headline. Uh, after the, you might notice a strange thing about the way people talk in Brian De Palma's latest film, his return to. Uh, well, thank you guys. Uh, I'll, the, the director remains closed, but I, I guess Aaron just had his finger poked right in there, and it just kept it from closing a little bit. There's no sound effect for like that remaining half inch of closure, but we've now fully closed. Yeah! It is my fucking slam. I can't do that. Yeah, I was going to say, there is very clearly a sound effect to use. <laughs> uh, but we do have uh, some, it's an original sound effect every time. No copies, no repeats. It's new every time. Harry and I need to uh, ring in the final segment of our show. That's fucking right, Jason. It's the segment we like to call <gasps> Cody's Noties. Wow. Thank you, gentlemen. That intro sounded great. Uh, we're, we're, I'm used to like very solidly pushing the episode runtime past the runtime of the movie, like during the noties, but we're only a few minutes away from that now. It's a, it's a weird change of pace. I, 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 I feel more free, uh, to, to throw us back into the waters of Trilove feud. Um, little context for today's Trilove feud. I know it's been a little while. We'll get into all the mechanics of this uh, afterward, just, um, you know, for those who might be unfamiliar with it, uh, the website Letterboxd or the app Letterboxd, maybe you've heard of it, has a lot of, uh, we'll say useful information on its movie profile pages, not just, you know, like genre designations, but also additional tags that they call themes. Uh, the film Blowout has a number of themes attached to it, and one of those themes will be the focus for today. Um, give a little bit more context. A few of Blowout's themes include um, stuff like thrillers and murder mysteries, suspenseful crime thrillers, riveting political and presidential drama, you know, phrases that by themselves maybe don't necessarily get to the heart of the movie, but when thought of together, they start to paint a more comprehensive picture by like taking a little bit from each of those. Uh, the single theme in question for today's purposes is the movies on Letterboxd flagged with the theme, quote, high speed and special ops, unquote, high speed and special ops uh, that Letterboxd has determined are the best match for that theme based on 
some algorithm that I it outsourced to, to somebody else, I think. I will not pause to mention that Trivia Mafia rules are in effect for the rest of this segment, which means you must use your noodles and not your Googles or your letterboxed dis to find the answers you seek. Uh, for those listening at home who are unaware, this is that spiel I alluded to. Uh, this would be an experience somewhat adapted from the famous game show Family Feud. What I've done is collected the top 25 films on Letterboxd, ranked by Best Match and filtered by theme High Speed and Special Ops. As what I hope is a helpful nudge in the right direction, I'd wager you guys here uh, participating have seen many of these films and are at least uh, aware of nearly all of them. Uh, what I will ask, uh, or what I will do rather, is ask each of you one at a time for a guess of a movie included in that list. Every guess comes with a 10 second window. To get a point, you'll need to correctly guess a movie that is on that list during your turn within the aforementioned 10 second window. There will be three strikes per person. If you get three strikes, then you're out for the remainder of the game. If you make an incorrect guess, so you guess a movie, it's not on the list, uh, you get a strike. If you have a correct movie, but state an incomplete title of the movie, you'll get a strike. We call it the Scott Pilgrim versus the World Amendment. Uh, if you fail to guess a movie before the 10-second window is up, I will announce time is up, and you'll get a strike. So just always guess a movie, even if it's wrong. Um, worst case scenario, you make for, for good radio You know, with a, a fun guess that is maybe clearly incorrect. Fun for Can you get the uh, the micro genre again one more time, Cody? Sorry. The yeah, the micro genre is high speed and special ops. High speed what and the special fuck ops. Is that that is what we're what here to you, find what, out, what gentlemen. The, yeah, listen, that is, is literally it, that is literally what this is. Yeah. Uh, no, I know, but what the fuck, man? I, genres are dumb. We need to abolish genres. So the uh, the order for this game is going to be Jason then Aaron, uh sorry Jason Aaron Harry there we go this spiel gets long and my words become applesauce and then we'll just go on a loop for as long as necessary uh, whenever it's the next person's turn I will say that person is on the clock at which point that person will be on the clock uh, the film we discussed today is not on this list it is not one of the twenty five so if you guess it we'll all know you weren't listening to this preamble uh, the winner will be the person with the most correctly guessed movies. That concludes my spiel. Before we get to the game proper, any questions from you gentlemen before we jump Top in? Top 25? Top 25. And amount logged. Uh, it's top 25 ba- based on what Letterboxd has determined is best match. So it's not popularity. Sure. It's not okay. like okay. recency or anything like that. Just what it t- determines are the most fitting. Yeah, exactly. The, most, the, whim, the whim of Letterboxd. Yes. Yeah, the most void determined best fit for the theme high speed and special ops. So we've got um, we've got the list here. We've got our order. Uh, that's Jason, Aaron, Harry. Again, then on a loop for as long as we need to. Um, do, do, do. I think that's everything I want to say. So without further ado, uh, I will kick it over to our first contestant, Jason. Jason, you are now on the clock. I'm going to say speed. Jason is going to say speed. That was going to be my first guess. Speed is... Not on this list. Son of a fucking uh, bitch. I have no it, idea. It's, it's all of my other it's, ch- it's, options. It's, are I don't know be what's fun happening. <laughs> High speed okay. and special ops, um, which uh, and, uh, on paper speed, good guess, um, because the title is encompassed in that theme. And uh, special speed ops is not on are the happening the whole time in that movie. That's true. Uh, we'll see if, if we we'll see if we get a shout out this time, but I have faith in you guys. Uh, we'll pivot to, to Aaron. Aaron, you are on the clock. I, I have a I guess, but I'm worried it'll open the floodgates. I'm going to go with Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible is the guess. Mission Impossible is not on the list. Then I don't. Yeah. 
That's a, I don't know what's happening, man. I'm so scared. I, I do have right a bunch now. more guesses, but so they're all predicated on like, the same school of thought I used to come up with speed. So we'll see. I we'll it's see. Pretty high we'll, speed, isn't it? We'll, we'll we'll see how we'll see how Harry's guess goes. There are some maybe gentle nudges I can throw to you guys. If um, I considered even doing like a calibration round, no gentle this, nudges. But don't no gentle nudges. Da- no gentle nudges. All right, none. Then you guys better you guys better get on the clock here soon. Uh, Harry, we're over to you for your first guess. Harry, you are on the clock. I'm going to try the Raid Redemption, Cody. The Raid Redemption is the guest. Uh, the, the guest from the guest, but not the guest. Um, because the, it's not on the list, unfortunately. <laughs> um, good guess. Raid Redemption. Um, first round, nothing nothing doing. Uh, we had a couple, a couple guesses um, from some franchises with a lot of movies included in them. The instances of those movies that were put forth were, were not on the list. Um, but hey, you know, <laughs> don't come on. Yeah, stop nudging. You're fucking we're over, nudging. Right uh, before Jason fucking answers, get the fuck out of here. All right. We're over. We're over to Jason for his next guest. Jason, you are on the clock. I'm going to say Mission Impossible Fallout. Mission Impossible Fallout is the guess mission impossible fallout number 23 on the <gasps> list number wow. 23 on the list uh so no strike for jason it should be said everybody has one strike jason uh got a point with the second guess we're over to aaron for his next guess aaron <sighs> do i just you're on the clock do i do a cheap one after that or do i that was number 23 though like what are the chance any Oh, uh, okay. Uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna cheap answer. I'm gonna go. Uh, 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 I'm gonna go. Mission Impossible. Dead Reckoning. Mission. Okay. Mi- okay. Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible. Tick, 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 six, tick, tick, tick. Dead Reckoning Part One. Mission Impossible. Dead Don't fuck reckoning. me if there's not six in there. I swear to fucking God, Cody. If the word six isn't in that title. Uh. Aaron, you anyway. buckle Bit up, Big Daddy. You're getting fucked. Not on the list, uh, unfortunately, for Dead Reckoning Part 1. And for Aaron, who's at two strikes, um, not on the list, we head over to Harry for his second guess. Harry, you are on the clock. I'm going to try The Rock, Cody. The Rock is the the guess. The Rock. I can't do it. Um, not on the list, unfortunately. Um, though that is... Let's uh, special ops. They they crash through. What is it? San San Francisco. I was about to say San Fran, but I know you're not supposed to call it that. They get mad. Um, it's a pretty good, pretty good example of them. That uh, that flick. theme, but not on the list. There are good literal flick. special ops in that film. Yeah, yeah, not special enough as it seems. As we head back to the the start of the queue. So recapping here, Jason's on the board with a point, has one strike. Aaron and Harry are down to their last strike. Uh, still 24 movies on the list to get to get to, I think it is just a matter of the floodgates. You know, once somebody, once somebody finds it, it's going to be a whole wave of points coming through. Will that be our reality? Who's to say, I've been told that I should not gently nudge anybody any particular direction. So I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to head to Jason for his third guest. Jason, you are on the clock. I'm going to go with fast and furious, Tokyo drift, fast and furious, Tokyo drift is the guess is not on the list uh, unfortunately again a lot of high speed a lot of a lot of special ops uh operations um for those uninformed but not on the list can so i head to aaron can i confirm yeah, go ahead. that both aaron and harry are one wrong guess away from me winning 
You, you'll see in one second. Man. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You don't need I just to... want to set the stakes again. I need to vamp a little bit because you know how rarely mm-hmm. this happens, Aaron. I, I need to, we need to set the stakes after each guest and put this episode over two hours. I, I know what you're talking about, um, but we'll head over to, to Aaron who is at, okay. uh, at, at game po- match point rather. I'm going um, to Aaron, assume. Yeah. I'm going to assume that Jason made a classic blunder and he accidentally guessed the lowest earning, probably worst uh, critically appraised version of the Fast and Furious franchise. I'm going to go the exact opposite and go for the highest earning, most popular, which is Furious 7. Uh, is my guess. Furious 7 is the guess. Furious 7 not on the list. Strike 3. What for the one. fuck, man? I, fair question. It will be Good answered... Luck, It'll be answered in due time. Uh, yeah, it is down to Harry um, to stop the Greeks from usurping the pod once and for all. Um, team America, World Mackin, you're on the clock. Oh, don't, I'm not Team America. Uh, but, <laughs> Up too late. Uh, damn it. Uh, Cody, I'm, I'm going to go with Extraction, the 2020 Chris Hemsworth movie. <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> Number one. I, I genuinely yeah, watch like it be where- fucking Red Notice, you know, Argyle, number two. <laughs> Fucking oh, A, man. I, I genuinely like where your head is at, but it is not on the list. I will now I will now read off. Hey, uh, the, I wrote down a bunch. Does Jason want to keep guessing? I, I would like yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, I also yeah, want sorry. It, yeah, 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 yeah. All right, yeah, go for it. Do, do you want to <laughs> okay. get some, some I, out there? I'm guessing uh, Unstoppable. Is it on the list? Okay. Do you want me to do you want me to give a confirmation with each one, or do you just he throw goes them out until there and he then loses, I'll do the I list? Think. He, no, he oh. goes until oh, he loses. Oh, okay. Then I lost. Yeah, So Unstoppable is your guess? Yeah. Uh, not on the list. Okay. Straight three, you're out. Now, can, um, can, I, so, can I just say yeah, real quick, before yeah, Jason guessed Fast and Furious, I was going to pivot to the fucking French connection as like, I don't know, there's a fucking chase in that movie. Is that is that on the list? Uh, again, I think in, historically we've been like, if you just want to okay. like put all them right. out on the record, put put them out on the record and then I'll run through the list in order. So what others do you all want is like, uh, shoot your shot. Monuments. No men. stakes here. The Taking of Pelham 1, 2, 3 and mm-hmm. The Train by John Frankenheimer. I'm less. I'm least confident about that last one. Interesting. Okay. Uh, any anybody else? Harry, do you have any that you want to? I have to... a bunch. Do you mind if I just read them yep. off? But I uh, do not mind at all. Go for it. I've got Heat. I also have a bunch. Con Air, Commando, Crank, Point Break, Snatch, Police Story, Bad Boys, Rambo, First Blood, Black Hawk Down, and Zero Dark Thirty. Jesus. Can I noted? Can I spit out Ocean's Eleven, Ocean's Eight, uh? I put like Speed Racer and Bullet, but that was based on the I French see a connection. Small, uh, a small yeah. smirk on Cody's face when you mentioned Oceans. Oh, it's got to be Ocean's, el- Ocean's Eleven. Ocean's Eleven's got to be see. on there. My mouth is literally not changed. It's the <laughs> pixelation on your screen that's the problem. Okay, let's hear the list. I'm, I'm dying. Please, please, please. <laughs> All righty. Uh, I will now read off the most popular. Uh, the, the, sorry. Uh, Going to take that back. The best fit for the theme high speed and special ops films starting at number 25, working our way up to one is gauged by letterboxd and whatever um, algorithm they've outsourced that to number 25, 2013's fast and furious six, number 24, 2014's taken three. God damn it. Number 23, 2018's mission impossible fallout. Number 22, 2012's skyfall. Number 21, 2013's white house down. Number 20, 2010's salt. What? Uh, maybe you've heard of it. Uh, great plane movie. Number Olympus 19. Fallen. My 
Uh, get ready. Number 19, 2013's A Good Day to Die Hard. Number 18, 2015's Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. Number 17, uh, the classic genre feature 2014's Captain America the Winter Soldier. Number 16, 2008's Quantum of Solace. Number 15, 2017's The Fate of the Furious. Number 14, 2016's Jason Bourne. Number 13, 2008's Taken. <laughs> Number 12, 2005's V for Vendetta. Question mark. Number 11, 2001's Swordfish. Number 10, and this is the, the far and away the oldest entry on the list. Number 10, 1959's North by Northwest. Sure. Uh, number 9, 2016's London Has Fallen. Number 8, 2007's Live Free or Die Hard. Number 7, London 20- Has Fallen, the best one. I haven't seen any of them. I'll take your word for it. Maybe I'll watch them someday. Uh, where was I? There's a Live Free or Die Hard, number 8. Number 7, 2012's Taken 2. Number 6, 2015's Spectre. Number five, 2008's Eagle Eye. Uh, and then the top four here. Number four, 2002's The Bourne Identity. Number three, 2004's The Bourne Supremacy. Number two, Mich- uh, number two, 2006 Mission, and um, 2006's Mission Impossible 3. Sorry, these long titles are getting to me. And number one, 2007's The Bourne Ultimatum. Guys, Jesus Christ, it's Jason that Bourne. That is the, def- <laughs> the definition of high speed and special ops. Ladies and germs, I, um, I don't, I don't feel good. None of these, right now, none of these. To be honest, I had low expectations, yeah. but I wanted to explore this. <laughs> I mean, this is this is a fun bit, Cody. I this is very, this is good. I would do this again. Uh, it's just you know the one the upsetting. one idea I had, and maybe we'll maybe we'll uh, construct this on Mike to really push us over the two hour mark. Part of me was like, we could do something to where like each of you guess a movie, and I don't tell you if you're right specifically, but like. Oh, one of you had a correct, like one of the ones that each, like, sure. like three guesses, one of sure. them was correct, like that sort of thing to kind of like well, so, provide okay. some guardrails. Right. Sometimes you just need a Cody's notice that's a blowout. Kind of stole my joke, but I have argued long for yeah. the the need that has gone unheeded, the need for a uh, uh, participants versus. Cody, uh, Cody's Noty trivia segment where we all try and figure out just maybe maybe a pitch, you know, maybe the three of us working just like together a, as a team. It's like in Mario Party, every now and then you get a 3v1 minigame. Right, and it's and the, <laughs> and the, the one, one just as Bowser is totally bullshit. No, I can't be clueless because that's a game that I've actually played. Um, and this was a game that Jason played and won, so the pop-off platform what, is his. One game Jason, Jason played it. and two people Jason played. I, I got your asses. Don't forget this. I, I got your asses with one. I got on the board and I got first place. That's what matters. That's all. That's the that's the POP for me. The winner takes it all. <laughs> the winner the winner took it all in this case. Uh but I I I mean, who took it all? Uh who took more than me? Uh than Cody, who gave so much already and is receiving so little in return. Uh by ending our episodes as always on such a fun, lighthearted and enjoyable note as Cody truly givers and is. takers here on the podcast. Truly <laughs> it's a series of people who give and those who take from those who give. Uh it's a land of those of, of those contrasts. Uh thank you so much for uh everything except what you just did. Uh I will direct the listeners' attention to uh three pieces. Um I want to point toward uh Penny Folger's piece for Parasphere the Trilon blog. It's called Paranoia, Failure, and Female Representation. Brian DePalmo's Blowout. Uh, one also by Chris Polly, a former guest of Chris uh, of the podcast um, and host one of the hosts of uh, Film Trace, another podcast you should check out, uh, also wrote about Blowout for Parasphere. It's called Do You Hear What I Hear? The Salacious Self-Flagellation of Brian DePalmo's Blowout. Check those out at parasphere.org and 
in the show notes where I've linked them. Um, and the third piece that I want to point you to is actually Pauline Kael's original review of this movie, 1981. I read it and enjoyed it. Uh, it was republished by the Criterion Collection in 2011 when they reissued the movie on DVD or Blu-ray or whatever it was at that point. Uh, it's called Blowout, Portrait of the Artist as a Young Gadgeteer. It's a fun throwback review. Check those out in the show notes. Uh, check out our podcast at Trial of Podcast. Check out me, one of the hosts of this show, at Nintendoofus on Twitter and other places. That's right. Uh, thank you. I've been Cody Narvison. You can find me on Blue Sky at Cody Narvison and Twitter at Cody underscore BH. I've been Harry Mack, and you can find me on Twitter at PunishTake. My name is Aaron. Uh, follow me uh, on Twitter at RBPlease for when I inevitably make my return, like MacArthur, to the Philippines uh, at some point. <laughs> Just like that. So you got your choice. You can be crazy or dead. Either will do. <laughs>